songs sometimes take a long path to recognition. Perhaps you recognize this song as a hit by The Clash. Their 1979 punk cover version reached number 24 on the Irish singles chart and has since appeared in blockbuster movies and video games. But the song was written by Sonny Curtis in 1958. The following year, he took over guitar for Buddy Holly in the Crickets, and they recorded the song. It received very little airplay. Then, in 1965, the Bobby Fuller Four recorded this version of the song, and in 1966, it hit number nine on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. The law, it seems, can also sometimes take a long path to recognition. In 2008, the Illinois legislature passed a law known as Biometric Information Privacy Act, or BIPA. It wasn't until 2022 that a case involving BIPA ever went to trial. It resulted in $228 million in damages against railway operator BNSF. Since then, over 100 cases have been filed. White Castle, purveyor of late-night sliders and a favorite of Harold and Kumar, could be on the hook for over $17 billion in damages. After 15 years on the books, what's changed? Attorney, outsourcing advisor, and AI enthusiast John Walter joins to discuss how the use of AI has turned BIPA into a surprise hit for litigators. This week on Next in Q, we discuss how John became aware of BIPA, background on BIPA, how the statute of limitations works for BIPA violations, why customer support organizations should be aware of BIPA, how voice prints are regarded by BIPA, how companies may be opening themselves up to BIPA lawsuits, and what to do if you're concerned about the impact of BIPA on your business. Let's get to it. Welcome to Next in Q, the podcast for contact center and customer experience professionals. Next in Q is brought to you by Happy Two Vision. Eliminate blind spots and see right through every conversation with Happy Two Vision. Learn more at ajppitu.com. Now, here's your host, Rob Dwyer. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining another episode of Next in Q. I'm Rob Dwyer, and today, joining the show, John Walter. John, how are you? Very excited to be here and talking with you and your beautiful background that you always have whenever I see your clips on LinkedIn. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We are going to talk about something that I think is incredibly important in today's kind of AI-driven world that that is emerging. But before we do that, I want to get a sense of who you are and how you ended up where you ended up today. So give us a 
give us the cliffs notes on John and and how you ended up doing what you're doing today. Yeah, really quick. I was a lawyer. I still am a lawyer. I'm licensed in Alabama, Georgia, and Florida and practiced full-time law for about eight years. And then I, it was not a good um, match for the lifestyle uh, that, that I wanted for my family. Um, when it comes to the specific type of environment I was working in, I love the law, love the law. Uh, my great-grandfather, grandfather, dad, uncle, all lawyers, it's in my blood. I can't get away from it, but I, it was just uh, the type of practice I was with. It was just harmful to my family and uh, personal well-being. And so I pivoted over time. I'm currently the chief operating officer at ZMAX Inc., which is a former client of of mine and so what zmax inc does is they've been since for about 27 years now advising large companies on the selection of human outsourcing for mostly inbound customer support and over the past year we've become much more focused on artificial intelligence largely because our clients are asking us to find vendors that are very um, innovative and are trying to drive efficiency. And so I spend a lot of time at the intersection of outsourcing law and technology, which is very fun. Yeah, all things near and dear to my heart, except for maybe the law part, but that's why you're the perfect person for me to be talking with today, because that's what I want to dig into. There is a specific thing that you put out on LinkedIn that I think is part of a larger context that we all need to be thinking about. And that is how the law is going to impact our usage of these new technologies. So let's give me a little bit of background on, I think it's a BIPA. Is that the? Yeah, BIPA. It's an Illinois statute. It's very interesting. Maybe five months ago, I was having a conversation with somebody, I guess a little bit less than that. And they were asking me, hey, what are the legal risks of using AI in customer support? And at the time, I saw very, very little legal risk. I was thinking mostly around the context of hallucination. Maybe mm -hmm. uh, a chat bot would say something offensive or things of that nature. But that would have to be something egregious and that would just be able to allow damages to such an extent that a plaintiff's lawyer would be willing to take that case on a contingency fee basis. And so I didn't really see any real uh, practical legal risk to the use of AI until just a few weeks ago when I came across a statute out of Illinois called the Biometric Information Privacy Act. And I learned about this just through a somewhat casual conversation I had with an old law school friend who's now doing data privacy law. And we were talking on, on a podcast I, I host and it came up. And once he started talking about it, I got off that call and the following Saturday did about a four to five hour deep dive. And I became very concerned, very concerned because it's a, a little bit of background about the statute. So there was at one point a company, a tech company in Illinois that was gathering technology and, and fingerprint analyzing technology and hardware to be able to allow 
gas stations, grocery stores, any kind of type of storefront to allow for customers to buy things with their fingerprints. Mm -hmm. And it was gaining a lot of traction in the early 2000s. And they raised a lot of money and they had, and it was based out of Illinois. So they had a lot of Illinois customers, but then the great recession hit in 2008 and the company went bankrupt and all of these thumbprints that the company had collected were sold at auction as part of the bankruptcy proceedings, which is pretty oh wild, pretty, pretty wild. wild. And, and so imagine you as an individual, your thumbprint is being sold <laughs> as an asset. And, and so the Illinois legislature wanted to act. And so they passed BIPA in response to this statute. So it's been around since 2008 and there were, and it pretty much says that, if you as a company collect or transfer or do a few other things with a, a digital, they call it a biometric identifier, without first obtaining somebody's written consent, then you will face a statutory penalty, which means that you will pay a specified amount of damages stated in the statute, regardless of whether the individual was harmed by the action. And so the penalty is $1,000 per every negligent infraction and $5,000 for every intentional or reckless violation. And before I go any further, I want to make a quick disclaimer, Rob. I am not licensed to practice law in Illinois. And the giving it legal advice occurs when you apply law to facts. So I'm not going to do any of that in this episode. But right. I'm just going to explain everything I know about the statute in the context of customer support and to where I see the overlap and where I see huge risk. Yeah, absolutely. And so this, so what's happened is no one took notice of the statute for a very long time. No cases were filed until there was a very large jury verdict against BNSF. It's a railroad. I believe it was a thumbprint case and the jury found it to be an, intentional or reckless violation. So for every violation, it was a $5,000 penalty. And then subsequently, you had White Castle, which is a fast food chain, which had its employees scanning in and out of the fast food joint as they're clocking in and out. As, and, and so for every violation, they, you know, they didn't get their employees written consent before starting to do this. For every violation, they, they, the, the court ruled it's, a, it's not the first time it happens with an employee, it's every single scan starts the statute of limitations fresh. And so it was really a, it was a ruling on the statute of limitations, which is the time period you have to bring a lawsuit. But the logical next step is that, wow, every single violation is assuming, I mean, that's a, I mean every single scan is a separate violation. The BNSF case, which had that huge jury verdict of $228 million dollars. It, it was based on the assumption that it wasn't every single scan. And so now the plaintiffs are going back and say, oh, whoa, we need to reevaluate. We want 228 million. That's pocket change, <laughs> right? We, they're going for the big bucks now. And so, so look at White Castle. For them, it's, they have over, from what I've read, over 9,000 employees in the state of Illinois. And they have them scanning in and out every single day for you know, a minimum of four times, you know, mm -hmm. clocking in, you go on lunch break, coming back in. And then for each single violation, so for each employee, if it's negligent, it's going to be $4,000 a day. If it's, if it's intentional or reckless, it's going to be $20,000 a day. And they're estimating their potential liability 
potential liability to be $17 billion. And so this is just kind of like, okay, everyone, everyone in the customer support industry is like, okay, what does this mean to us? Mm-hmm. Well, in the Illinois statute, voice prints is included as a biometric identifier. And since these two rulings of, of and White Castle and BNSF, these cases are being filed. It's a tsunami of cases that, that yeah. are coming. So, so this is an issue that has not been on anyone's radar, but it needs to be at the top of everyone's mind. Because if you learn about it today, this is not a new statute that has just, you know, just been enacted. And so everyone can rearrange their, how they operate to avoid liability. If you're avoiding liability today, then you've been avoid, you've been, I mean, if you've been incurring liability today, you've been incurring liability for the past five years. And so my, my concern is that there are targets within the customer support industry that people are, and people are just unaware that they're targets and the fruit is already ripe um, Mm -hmm. for a plaintiff's lawyer to, um, to pursue. And those cases that you were talking about, I mean, those were just employee based cases, correct? Correct. But the customer based case, uh, and I think it, are there any, are there currently customer based cases that have identified the storage of voice prints that are, that are pending? Yes, there are two that I'm aware of that somewhat relate to customer support. Not in the traditional way that we think of, you know, like large-scale inbound support. It's AI-powered drive-throughs are the first targets. And I'll, I'll talk for a second about, about why I think that's the case and why it's important. But so it's, it's I believe it's um, McDonald's and Jimmy John's. And the McDonald's case was filed first. And there has been a, the defendants filed a motion to dismiss to try to move past it saying, hey, you know, motion to dismiss is saying, hey, based on the basic face of the complaint, the this case cannot move forward. And so the judge needs to dismiss it and not allow it to get to a jury. Don't require us to go through all this expensive litigation process. So the the judge has ruled on the McDonald's case where the plaintiff is alleging that they have these drive-throughs where the, you know, that you don't have a person sitting there with a headset anymore at the window. It's, you know, there's still a person at the window, but it's AI taking the order and then putting it into a machine and, and saying, hey, this guy wants a wants a hamburger and some fries. So what's happening there is there are some facts about, you know, they are trying to customize the menu based on what's happening, you know, based on the license plate number and also they're alleging that they're also using voice biometrics to identify the customer. But then there's, so that's pretty, you know, pretty um, aggressive allegations that would be, that would be really strong, very strongly lend towards um, liability likely. But then there's also some very broad um, allegations of, you know, they just kind of indicate that they're doing more to the voice than a simple recording holding because the attorney general for the state of Illinois has has stated through their opinions on other issues that a simple voice recording does not constitute capturing biometric information and so so it's just just recording a voice from what i'm seeing there doesn't seem to be an issue 
again, I'm not an Illinois lawyer, so, <laughs> but, uh, so don't, don't rely on me, but it's, um, but what scares me about the McDonald's complaint that survived a motion to dismiss and the judge's order is that when the judge is explaining why this is, um, why they're allowing the motion, allowing the complaint to continue and, and, and deny the motion to dismiss, it's pretty vague. It's pretty vague. It's pretty. It's pretty much you know the the um, the AI systems are changing and you know modifying and and interpreting the voice beyond what a simple voice recording does. Um, those types of cases that rest simply on those types of activities are likely going to be weak, as compared to something like when you're alleging. Hey, they're using the voice to match to this type of customer. This customer's come before us. So we're going to match him. Last time he ordered the filet fish I'm not sure who orders that, but people do. And and when the <laughs> so the filet fish so the next time this guy comes, you're going to be like, hey, the filet fish is right in the center with like fish sticks and tartar sauce. Um, you know, but anyways, that's a, that's a tangent. But John, you know who orders a filet fish you do, do you? No, nope, not me. That's disgusting. But my mom, my mom <laughs> just we had this conversation this weekend. Mom likes the filet fish at McDonald's. And, I've had it before and it isn't bad. It I'm going to take your word for it. I'm, I am not that adventurous when it comes to the McDonald's menu. Can we, can we talk a little bit about specifically the so this judge has allowed this motion to go forward do you think that there is a potential and we see this a lot when it comes to tech but a potential gap in knowledge for judges and attorneys when it comes to the tech and how it's being deployed and how it's used and potential misunderstandings that have wide ranging ramifications. Yes, I think that's a very <laughs> good point. And, and, and that's, and that's, and you can kind of see it happening here because for, for example, the idea that a recording is not a voice print is pretty odd because you can take a recording of someone's voice. You can take this podcast and you can clone my voice. Right. And so, so I don't see why um, they're, uh, you know, these, and they're still trying to determine what a voice print is in Illinois for this purpose, but I don't understand why some kind of, you know, output that a machine makes is different from a simple recording for the purpose of protecting Illinois consumers, because mm -hmm. I think they, in Illinois is, consumers equally vulnerable un under both circumstances. And then when you read the judge's opinion, when they're trying to understand what a voice print is, the, the first thing they, they cite to is Black's Law Dictionary, which is this old dictionary that's been it's updated year after year, but they have an entry of what a voice print is. And, uh, and it actually, I, I think I audibly laughed when I read the, <laughs> when I read the de definition. Um, I should, I should have had it prepped before, before the call, because I could read it off to you. Um, but it, yeah, it's clear that they're that they are struggling to um to comprehend what to do. Well, and I wonder, like, it was I don't know, roughly a year ago. Um, I had Matt Smallman on the show, and we were talking about using voice for, uh, among other things, 
for authentication. So for instance, if you're a, a banking client and using voice print identification as one of many tools to grant a level of authorization. And I think that made sense in the world before 2023. And now I I think my fear is that voice cloning, which you mentioned, the ability to really, from a limited data set, completely recreate someone's voice and create speech that they never said that sounds exactly like they said, you could do that from this podcast, probably, for both of us. And that really, I think, changes the nature of what was previously considered a voice print. Yes, yes. It is very interesting. And something something I want to point out you know, is so authentication. I, I, I personally just, a this is not legal advice. This is just an average citizen who's just reading the statute and is looking at what technology is doing. Authentication is a clear cut danger zone when it comes to this time, type of technology. That's, that's exactly what they're trying to protect against. Is some is data that can be used to authenticate the identity of a person, and they're trying to protect against that data being obtained and then used in a nefarious way. Right. So that's what I would be most concerned about. And and when I'm not sure what different companies are doing with authentication, but what you have to look at in the Illinois statute is that it requires the customer's written consent. I don't know what that means in the context of a phone call, whether you can you know, audibly say, maybe, maybe you could say, yes, I agree. I, I, you know, a passive, this may be recorded for quality assurance purposes. Right. In my opinion, certainly doesn't cut it. It certainly doesn't cut it, but maybe, if, but I don't know what the law is on saying, Hey, maybe if the customer will audibly affirm, say, yes, I agree to this. Or if you have to push a dial tone to confirm it, I don't know if that constitutes written consent, but there's other areas where I'm concerned that that I, I think may be common in the industry for a long period of time, common practices um, that may not that that may be I won't say they're violations of the statute, but just say are high risk because mm -hmm. we have to realize is, is you don't need to violate a statute to get sued. And what right. these plaintiffs' lawyers are proving, is that they are being they are willing to take almost any case right now because the, the dollar signs are so are so high. There are frivolous cases being filed about BIPA in Illinois right now, and and that gets to the important topic I, I, I want to cover real quick because I, I think it's often overlooked is why right now are the only companies being sued McDonald's and Jimmy John's. In my opinion, it's because they have AI machines cemented into the ground in the state of Illinois, and it's easy to identify them, right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. so, it's, so it's easy to determine who's using AI and who's not. So let's say if you're a creative, let's say a plaintiff's lawyer identifies a technology that they believe based on the marketing material and the patents of the technology. And I've actually seen this. Rob, that call center 
technology that's popular with patents, publicly available patents that state they're capturing biometric information. Because I figured this out quickly, like, like in a few hours over the weekend, just like, eh, just Google, right? Just Google it. <laughs> and and it's and it's like so so the the so clear violations. And so let's say you're a plaintiff's lawyer and you identify that. And you're like, woo, okay, okay. They're starting to they're starting to get greedy, not greedy, but they're they're starting to see dollar signs. Mm-hmm. And but so the but a plaintiff before they can pursue a claim. They need a plaintiff. A plaintiff's lawyer needs a plaintiff. You need a client. And and clients don't know who is, what technology is being used on the calls that they're on. So how does the plaintiff's lawyer find that client? This is what I think is going to happen. These, these, there are, there are technology companies out there that through marketing material and through their patents um, are, have, sprinkled little breadcrumbs of evidence that make them target for BIPA claims. And then they are also publicly stating who their clients are. They are publicly stating, um, they'll give their clients awards. Yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll you've, put got the, you've got the logos on the website, right? Yeah, the logos on the website. You, they'll, they'll, their client, they'll invite their clients to speak at conferences. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is what I think is going to happen. I think the path for the plaintiff's lawyer is going to be to identify the companies that have publicly associated them with themselves with certain technology. And, and then the plaintiff's lawyer just needs to do a mass mass mailings, you know, like every door yeah. direct mail and plaintiff friendly zip codes and say, have you, are you a company? Are you a customer of this company? You may be entitled to compensation and just start fishing them in. And so this is what I'm concerned about. I spend all day, every day trying to serve the leaders of customer support organizations. And I don't want to see my friends in the industry becoming the bridge to plaintiffs that are trying to reach the tech companies. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and then the, my, the comp, you know, friends and colleagues becoming um, tangled up in this mess. But, mm-hmm. but that's, the, that, but that's frankly, I think that's, the the uh a pro, the, what I just described that path of finding the plaintiff I, I think it's, it's only a matter of time. Yeah, and one of the things that uh, could be a potential challenge, even if you don't think, well, we don't we don't have customers in Illinois, but you really just don't know anymore where your customers might be, or the the people that you're talking to that may be impacted by use of this technology because, right? I mean, I, I live in Kansas, but my cell phone number is a Missouri cell phone number. It's a St. Louis based cell phone number. And if all the information that you had was my phone number, you would think that I lived in Missouri, but I don't. And because of number portability, that, I mean, that is very common these days. People take their number with them wherever they go. Yeah, this is a big issue. You know, they, they, they face this issue in sports betting where they have to verify the geolocation of every single person at the time they place a bet, not even the time they register. And so you can literally be driving across state lines and your app 
stop stop working. And and so, but it, in the phone call context, I'm not sure how that's I'm not sure how that's done. Right. I'm not sure. Um, I think a good first step is is um is simply, you know, zip codes, of course. But like you said, people move. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. So I guess for people listening to this who are in the industry and may at this point be questioning, am I at risk? Do Am I currently using a technology that might subject me to risk? What's the first thing that they should do? I think the first thing they should do is, is just Google BIPA statute, B-I-P-A statute and email it to their lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) And and even if their lawyer is not in Illinois, just say, Hey, I, yeah, I listened to a podcast and this is kind of creepy. Um, Do you, do you think let's have a conversation about whether or not, you know, this may be a risk. And if, if I were a customer support leader, the main thing I would be concerned about is if I'm running AI through, if I'm running phone calls through AI systems, and with these phone calls potentially coming out of Illinois. And and there may be, I don't know what the law is. If you're an Illinois-based company, there may be it may be a nation nationwide uh, risk. So that's just something to kind of be aware of. Um I'm not I'm not positive about that, but but I, I just want to keep that window open for for people's consideration. Yeah. Are there other risks out there that you're either digging into or seeing as okay now that i've seen this and and there's some very real litigation associated with this has that opened up your thoughts to other potential risks that are on the horizon that's a good question because in our country we have a patchwork of data privacy laws from various states and we don't yet have any federal law that is preempting all of these states from being able to do their own thing and and so I, I'm not aware of anything else out there that is causing this much concern and and something else to keep in mind is that this this issue with BIPA in Illinois will likely fade away over time because, Either Illinois, it's it's highly likely that Illinois at some point in the future will change the statute because I, I, I genuinely don't believe they had the intention to bring in this level of liability where mm-hmm. where it could bankrupt well capitalized companies um, that are you know argue that are just unaware of it um, and are not not trying to do anything wrong, um, but. That being said, the, the legislator has spoken, and and the judges need to enforce a law as it's written. Um, so it's up really up in, until the Illinois legislator legislature realizes this could be detrimental to Illinois business in general. You know, it's like, like our the Illinois customers might not be able to receive the highest quality customer support because companies might start carving out Illinois. You know, they're not gonna they're not gonna allow AI technology to process these calls. And so maybe they have longer wait times or inferior experiences. And, and then also, like I said, there may be a risk that Illinois companies are 
exposed to national liability for this. And so it's, it's, so it could dissuade companies from wanting to locate in Illinois. So that could bring an end to this, but a second source of, of, of bringing this to a halt is the U S Supreme court, which could rule that it's unconstitutional to levy such astronomical damages when there are no actual harms to the customers that have been manifested yet. It's just um so there may be a constitutional argument, but that but I, but that's gonna be probably years away. Yeah. And in the meantime, absolutely. it's it's a in the meantime it's a it's a hot weapon. Yeah. Yeah I, I have to think uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the the statute just talks about biometrics. It doesn't talk about voice prints specifically. Voice prints are just a subset of biometrics, correct? So it it relates to biometric identifiers, and those include voice prints in the statute. The statute does not define voice prints, but it it does include it. It does specifically state voice prints. Mm, interesting. Well. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to think about, especially if you're supporting any customers in Illinois or you're based in Illinois. Uh, and certainly if you're, uh, I, you know, that the whole fast food AI menu thing has been something that a lot of companies have been experimenting with. It's certainly not just a McDonald's thing. So I imagine there are some other uh, potential big fish that um, may face some litigation and maybe maybe that'll um, end in some resolution that makes all of this a moot point or maybe it uh, will make us all be scrambling to figure out what we're gonna do it's hard to say yeah yeah for sure most likely a lot of these cases are just going to settle so so far you know this statute's been on the book since 2008. I think the first litigation wasn't filed until around 2014, but over, since then there's only been one jury trial. Most of the because the potential damages are so large, there's um, a lot of these are just being settled for very high amounts, and, and so there's not a lot of clarity in what's permissible and what's not, because yeah. we haven't, like you said, we haven't yet had the litigation go to fruition to to provide that insight. Very fascinating. And um, I'm sure there's there's still a lot for all of us to learn as we see how these things play out going forward. Um, certainly, uh, John, uh, you give out a lot of uh, very real advice, not necessarily legal advice, uh, because right, nothing we've said today constitutes legal advice. Is that the disclaimer that's it is. <laughs> I need to put out there? I am not. Uh, practicing attorney, nor am I giving any legal advice to anyone. But if they wanted to hit you up, where could they do that? What's the best way to get a hold of you? I hang out on LinkedIn. Um, there's a lot of John Walters out there, and and so, um, but you can also you can also find me through email. It's J Walter, the letter J W A L T E R at zmaxinc.com. That's Z. M A X I N C dot com. And happy to talk this through. And just to be honest, Rob, you know, the 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 few 
friends that I get on the phone to talk about this because I'm being very cautious. I'm being very, very cautious. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, especially when it comes to identifying anything beyond plain authentication, which is just a clear red flag. Um, I'm being very cautious on what I identified because I don't want to, um, it's, it's too consequential of a topic to, um, so I'm not posting, I'm not posting on LinkedIn. Like when I talked earlier about companies where I see or a, at least one company where I see biometric information stated clearly in their patent. I'm not telling people who that is, um, right. especially on, on LinkedIn. I mean, that's just too <laughs> consequential. Um, and so, so, but I'm, but I'm happy to, if anybody wants to talk or, you know, about this topic or about outsourcing and AI technology in general, I'm, I'm more, more than happy to hop on a call. All right. Well, fantastic. As always, uh, John's LinkedIn profile will be in the show notes. So just scroll down a little bit, hit the link, and you'll go straight to his profile, not some other John Walter, and you'll be able to uh, send him a message, connect, and and all of that good stuff. John, it's been so great having you uh, here to talk about this. I, I really firmly believe that uh, the law often is a laggard in catching up to technologies. But in this case, it seems like the, the law was on the books first and we're only now realizing the consequences of this. Very important point. Very important point, yeah. Yeah, well, thanks for joining and uh, can't wait to talk to you again soon. Likewise, thank you, Rob. Next in queue is brought to you by Happy To and is produced by me. Rob Dwyer. If you enjoy this podcast, please by all means subscribe and or rate this podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. But more importantly, please tell just one person about this podcast. Word of mouth is the best way for people to discover new content. As always, thanks for listening.